To the saints of Central Vineyard, greetings from Taitoa old friends. Uh, safe to say I miss you all more than you could know, and I'm gutted not to be there with you in person today. I'm feeling for you all in lockdown up there and the exhaustion many of you must be feeling, and I'm praying that God's grace and presence is powerfully with you in the harder moments, and that the season of your life, despite what circumstances may try to dictate, um, in it, you would experience the goodness of God. I was recently in a conversation with someone struggling with this very thing, the goodness of God. They were someone who had felt personally let down by him. They had a friend who suffered cerebral palsy and who later fell blind on the very morning of their wedding day. It was hard for them to say God was good and to actually mean it. How can we say God is good in the face of such real suffering? I know that struggle well. It's a struggle I've felt for nearly seven years of chronic sickness. The reality is, even recently, since I saw you last, I've been really crook and my battle to say, God, you're good in the midst of wave after wave of tests, life-altering diagnoses, and the disappointment of long periods of immobilization has been under duress yet again. And yet, I can say with all my heart and soul that truly God is good. Scripture is full of the reality of God's goodness, not just in the things He does, but in His very nature. In the times of the Exodus, after the descendants of Abraham had suffered slavery for 400 years, we hear them calling him by the name, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. And that's Exodus 34, 6. Psalm 135.3 demands that we give thanks to the Lord for He is 
good his love endures forever and of course in galatians 5 we hear that goodness is a fruit of the spirit because the fruit can only bear from the vine that gives it life apples come from apple trees grapes come from grapevines and goodness comes from a good god God does good things not because he tries or needs to but because it's all he can do. Goodness himself can only do good things. But this presents a problem for many of us because sometimes our experience would have us believe otherwise. I know for me personally in my hardest moments in the first few years of my sickness It wasn't self-evident that God was good and doing good things in my life. I couldn't see, feel, or account for it. Enter the Transcendentals. The Transcendentals are a philosophical trilogy of the moral fabric of the universe, first made famous by Greek philosophers uh, like Plato and Socrates. Stay with me here. We're we're going somewhere. They suggested that divine things and the divine being must manifest truth, beauty and goodness simultaneously. These three things, truth, beauty and goodness. In other words, beauty must also be good to be truly beautiful. And goodness must also be true to be truly good and so on and so forth. They're called the transcendentals because philosophically they're the meta-reality of the cosmos. And that truth has remained so for millennia since their coining. Christian theologians have maintained the same belief too because we believe that God's goodness is irremovable from his truth and beauty. They give context to each other. Because it's possible to say something is good when in fact it's not. If anyone could define goodness however they saw it themselves, then goodness would lose all of its quality. I may say that it's good for example to keep all my money to myself. You may say it's good for me to give my money to the poor without truth, capital T truth. Goodness is unanchored and meaningless. As is any fruit of the spirit that we've covered over these past few weeks. The reason God is good isn't just because he makes us feel good or because he's a good guy. God is good because everything he does is true and beautiful. And the reality of that truth especially is that it's often far beyond our reality to fully grasp. Jesus was good not just because he loved the sick and poor and died for our sins, but because he preached and lived and taught the truth. It was good when he convicted the Pharisees, for example, by asking them without sin to cast the first stone on the adulterer. But it was also true because he then told her to go and sin no more. Many of us would feel comfortable applauding those today who defend the unnecessary villainization of people caught in sexual sin as we should. But would we apply the same principle of goodness to inviting them to obey the truth as well? 
the law of the transcendentals, and more importantly, the witness of Jesus Christ, would say that goodness requires the presence of both. Jesus was good precisely because he was true. This is where the rubber hits the road for you and I in the culture we find ourselves in. Because goodness in our post-Christian culture has largely become detached from truth. Goodness tends to be whatever the prevailing cultural wind asserts it to be. There's a painful confusion about the goodness of God. Because how could a good God, for example, want me to wait until I'm married to have sex with the one I love, or to stay in a friendship, marriage, or job that makes me unhappy, or to refrain from heavy drinking when I just want to have some fun? Or for me personally, how could a good God not heal me when I'm so sick? The reason we may struggle to accept the truth of God's goodness in these circumstances is that our culture, our postmodern culture, has largely located the definition of truth in what we feel, what's internalized, rather than what we believe in what's externalized. In other words, if we don't feel like God is good, or if we sense He's asking us to commit to a way of life that doesn't feel good to us, then our response is to charge God with the conviction of being wrong or being ungood, if you don't mind me saying it, and not ourselves. I believe I stand with the witness of Christ and Scripture when I say that as Christians, we are called to something far more deeper than that. But what's the alternative? What does it look like to be made into the shape of God's goodness and not our own cultures? Well, first, it means abiding in God's goodness. It's not just about any kind of prayer. It's about praying with our belief, conforming to God's truth. It's praying with the disposition that God is the most good person in the cosmos and that His will for us is good, that everything He does is good, and that He is far more good than anything else in our lives. We won't abide in God's goodness if we don't believe it. And we believe it not because of our feelings or our experience, but because of the witness of Christ in Scripture. If that sounds circular to you, you're right. Welcome to the definition of faith. I know that's not necessarily easy either. How can we believe God is good when we can't feel it? By abiding in the scriptures that proclaim it, by memorizing them and meditating on them, by speaking to our thoughts and feelings the way Psalm 135 3 does, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for He is good and His love endures forever, regardless of what we're feeling and thinking. The truth of God's goodness won't happen by accident. It will take a reform of our minds and feelings and the humility that just because we don't understand it doesn't make it less true. Prayer is the home of experiential knowledge where theology becomes reality. Practicing sitting in and with the good God will make God good in your world or in the language of the Lord's Prayer, it will make God's kingdom come here on earth or in me as it is in heaven. 
But there's another important element to bearing the fruit of God's goodness in our lives. And it comes with a bit of an unapologetic bite. And that's through obedience to Christ's good commands. That's why in the same passage about abiding in Christ we read, we're reading about in John 15, Jesus also says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. It's verse 10. Goodness is not subjective. It's not an emotion or an intention, at least not completely. It's not about being a quote-unquote nice guy or a moral wet wipe. Too harsh, maybe? I don't know. It's a life obedient to the gospel of Christ as taught in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the reality is that sometimes that doesn't look like goodness to the world around us, and sometimes not even to us. It didn't to Jesus' contemporaries. It didn't to Rome. And it often hasn't throughout history. We can't bear the fruit of goodness without obedience to the teachings of Christ. Abiding in prayer, though it's our first port of call, won't make us into the shape of goodness if we're refusing to forgive those who hurt us, if we're sleeping with others outside of marriage, in thought or in deed, if we're over-drinking or keeping our money all to ourselves and using our tongues as weapons. That's profoundly challenging for all of us. But that's why the gospel is no cheap invitation. It's a call to a life of goodness through the Spirit in obedience to the truth. If you're looking for a plumb line to discover whether the goodness you're living in is God's goodness, a goodness and truth, I recommend reading Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, and holding your life and actions to that standard. Because that's what goodness looks and feels like. It has teeth, conviction, care, and the power of radical love. That's the beauty of the kingdom of heaven. But what about my friend at the start of this letter, who is struggling to say that God is good? What about me and my own ability to pronounce God's goodness in my enduring illness? This is where I feel so much good news, so much joy and freedom. Because when in my sickness and confusion, I have no way of seeing or knowing what God is doing in my life is good, I can throw myself with abandon on the cosmic truth of His goodness. Not because I understand it, but because it's true. By trusting that God is good, even when I can't see it, I shape my experience to reality, capital R, reality itself. I force myself to, to accept true goodness. My suffering is made good. In other words, a goodness rooted in truth saves me from my feelings. It calls me beyond myself. This gospel is a powerful reversal of the tide of the age. It makes goodness an objective reality we can submit to, something to free us from our mental prisons and physical disorientation. 
goodness becomes a refuge for people like me who need a way out of my head, of my sense-making and into the experiential reality of God. Friends, God is immeasurably good. He is magnificent and beautiful and wonderful. I know that to be true in another bedridden year like this one as much as any other because it's simply reality. Something I can give my feelings and experience to be shaped after. So, may you experience the magnitude of God's goodness in your suffering, in your daily life, in your prayerful experiences, that you may become a conduit of that gritty goodness in a world unanchored from the Christ who loves it. Your friend, brother, and fellow pilgrim in love, Strong. your voice You have led me through the fire In darkest nights You are close like no other I've known you as a father I've known you as a friend And I have lived in the goodness of God Of the goodness of God Cause your goodness is running after It's running after me Your goodness is running after It's running after me With my life laid down I surrender now I give you everything your goodness is running after, is running after me. Your goodness is running after, is running after me. Your goodness is running after, is running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running. It's running after me All my life you have been faithful And all my life you have been so, so good With every breath that I am able I will sing of the goodness of God.